Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 19. It's my wedding anniversary. You know, this week has been interesting. This past weekend, I was able to see a live show of the Broadway musical Hamilton. It was an amazing experience to see live, but it was also a very emotional experience for me, especially when it came to the story of how Alexander Hamilton cheated on his wife Eliza. Some of the lyrics from Eliza's song are very poignant. Quote, I saved every letter you wrote to me. From the moment I read them, I knew you were mine. You said you were mine. I thought you were mine. I'm rereading the letters you wrote to me. I'm searching and scanning for answers in every line, for some kind of sign. And when you were mine, the world seemed to burn. You published the letter she wrote you. You told the whole world how you brought this girl into our bed. In clearing your name, you have ruined our lives. I'm erasing myself from the narrative. The world has no right to my heart. The world has no place in our bed. They don't get to know what I said. I'm burning the memories, burning the letters that might have redeemed you. And this is actually what Eliza Hamilton did when she found out about her husband's affair. She burned almost all the correspondence that he wrote to her. This is pretty significant because letters at the time were cherished and passed down. They're how researchers are able to see so much about what was going on at the time. But Eliza was so hurt by the revelation of what her husband did that she burned those letters. Similar to Suzanne Finnamore in her memoir Split. And just like I did with my Midnight Bonfires. If you couldn't tell, for 15 years of my life, this week held special meaning to me. It was the anniversary of when I got married, January 6. This week meant a celebration of love, a romantic nights spent at cabins and in fancy restaurants. It meant a few days break from being parents to actually spending some one-on-one time together. And then, all of a sudden, this week changed. It went from 12, 13, 14, 15 years married to... Would have been 16, would have been 17, would have been 18. It's crazy to think of, to be honest. I hadn't really sat down and done the math until right now. And then it's changed. It's changed to one, two, three years divorced. So what I'm going to talk about this week is how to reclaim those days that had meeting in the past as a couple and that are now filled with heartache and sadness because that meaning was changed or lost. Or, you know, even happiness because you got out of a bad situation. This is similar to what we've talked about with other holidays like Christmas and Halloween, where it changes after you get a divorce. My goal this episode is to show you how we can positively impact our negative memories of specific days or situations as we continue further along the yellow brick road to healing. How I am doing that with my wasiversary, especially today, is by making it a celebration of what I did get from my marriage. 
a celebration of change, evolution, and healing, a celebration of love and loss, a celebration of my wonderful kids. I'm once again reclaiming it for me. Let me be clear, you don't have to assign any meaning to your old anniversary. But at the early stages of divorce, it's hard to just forget that day. And as more time passes, the day holds less and less meaning, and that's a good thing. Now, it's kind of appropriate that it is also the week of the new year, a time where many people set New Year's resolutions. And the thing I've noticed in divorce is that we can set those goals, those resolutions at any time we want. Once we are divorced, we start a new life. We get to create new goals. We get to start over, as it were. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. In Getting Past Your Breakup, there's a section at the back where the author goes through letters that she received from people in her Getting Past Your Breakup seminars. One of them asked her to talk a little bit about anniversary grief. In this specific instance, she's talking about the anniversary of the breakup or the divorce. But the same principle applies to the anniversary of your marriage, because it no longer represents what it used to represent. The author says, quote, Everyone is different. Some people pass the anniversary of the breakup as if nothing happened. For others, it can provoke a huge recycling, where you can find yourself suddenly and inexplicably in the emotional soup. The most violent redunking occurs at the first anniversary. But you can have anniversary reactions at other intervals. Anniversary grief is normal. It's the marking of the severing of a significant relationship. It's the remnants of what remains behind. It's more sloughing off of memories, the connectedness, as well as the pain of disconnecting. It's a marker in your life of something and someone that was once important. Human beings are creatures of habit. We all tend to live by calendars, and our lives are marked by dates and occasions. We celebrate the people in our lives, and we gather in groups during certain times. Part of how we survive as a species is by forming connections and a sense of community with others in large and small groups. Community dates like New Year's, World Community, Fourth of July, American National Community, Winter Holiday, Personal Religious Community, Birthdays, Family Community, and Anniversaries, Couple Community, mark the ebb and flow of our lives. Sometimes we celebrate with the world, other times just with one other person, and every group size in between. But we mark dates, celebrate them, and get into rhythms and patterns around them. It's how we are. We are somewhat hardwired to have dates matter as markers of our lives. So an anniversary of a loss is another marker. We grieve not only for what was, but for the date that we have to recognize and then extinguish. It's why people feel a draw to connect with an ex on a birthday, both their own and their ex's, even if logically it makes no sense, end quote. Now, unlike the author, I'm talking about reclaiming what used to be the anniversary of my marriage, not the anniversary of my divorce. The anniversary of my divorce doesn't actually have any meaning. I couldn't even tell you the exact day. I'd have to pull up my divorce decree to figure that out. I just know that it was one of two months. However, there are days and reminders and time periods that do hold meaning in my divorce. And those days have had painful memories associated with them, just like my anniversary did the first year I was divorced. That first anniversary was hard. 
I had just returned to Utah after spending three weeks in Hawaii with my kids and parents over Christmas break, so that obviously didn't help. My entire life, I've dealt with post-vacation depression. It started in childhood, I'm not exactly certain when, but I have a distinct memory of visiting Zion National Park one Easter, which is something that my family did every year back when Zion National Park wasn't crazy busy all the time. In this particular instance, I had homework that needed to be done because we were going to school the next day, and I was in the car on a four-hour drive back home with a textbook on my lap, and I just started crying because I didn't want to go back to real life. So I'm home from a long vacation, and I found myself alone on a day that used to mean so much to me. And I fought against that sadness and sorrow by just numbing it out. But it didn't work. I still cried. I still mourned the loss of my marriage. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? I can't remember exactly what I did. I just know that TV was involved. I think I watched The Office, which, as you know, was my go-to numbing agent at the beginning of my divorce. The anniversary was about a year post-divorce, so it had been some time after the divorce was final, but it was a pittance when compared to a 15-year marriage. On my second anniversary, I went hiking. We have this trail near my house called Elephant Rock. And in the winter, it gets covered in snow, and you need either snowshoes after a big snowstorm or spikes after it has been packed down to get up this trail in the winter. It's about a three and a half mile hike up to a large white rock, which uh, is called Elephant Rock. And above the large rock, there's a bench that overlooks the canyon. And you can see out into the valley where the Great Salt Lake and Antelope Island sit in the distance. This day was a lot more different than my previous anniversary. It felt invigorating, enlightening, almost spiritual. It was a moment that had been a long time coming. And now I have my third anniversary this week, so I'm going to celebrate the things that my marriage did give me. Number one was an experience in a good, positive marriage. This is something that not everyone who goes through divorce can say. Many people experience years of unrest, years of fighting, of trust issues. Some people experience verbal, physical, and emotional abuse. For me, I experienced a positive marriage for about 12 years. Like all marriages, there were minor squabbles over dishes or sisters or some neighbor that was coming over asking for money. I think the most significant fight was over one of my sister-in-laws sneaking off with my ex one Thanksgiving to take a four-hour drive when we were supposed to be spending time together as a family. But the squabbles never reached an unhealthy point until the end. I think that's one of the reasons that everything that led up to my divorce was so unexpected. Because I had experienced what a good marriage was like, and so when things went downhill, I always thought that we could return to that even with the issues that caused the divorce, which were quite significant. I spoke to another divorcee that would only have small periods of peace in her marriage, but it was always disrupted by the revelation of another serious issue, followed by separations and therapy. I didn't have a separation until those last few years. So yes, I can celebrate having a good marriage and knowing that I can have that again with someone else. But that also is a good transition to the next thing that my marriage gave me. The next thing that I'm actually grateful for. 
experience in a very negative marriage. So I went through this 12-year period where things were very good, and then things went downhill fast, at least in comparison to the 12 previous years. The last three years were a struggle. There were a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of tears, a lot of therapy. And throughout it all, there were moments of extreme hope, followed by moments of extreme despair. There were times when I tried my best to save my marriage, followed by the certainty that there was nothing that could save my marriage. It was broken beyond repair. So why am I celebrating this time of my life? Well, it taught me a lot about myself and what I'm capable of, what I'm willing to do to save a marriage, and what it takes to realize that I just needed to let go. I found an interesting article on marriage.com that lists 10 important lessons from a failed marriage. This list includes items like relationships take work, sex is essential, no marriage is perfect, quality time is vital, being secure with yourself, having a separate life from your partner, and knowing the difference between love and infatuation. I can compare the first 12 years of my marriage to the last three years and notice distinct changes in our relationship. There was a rather sharp decline in the amount of quality time that we were spending together. My ex was in school, so she was gone a lot of the time. When she was home, it just felt like she was gone. Yes, we had separate lives from each other, which was another item on the list, but one of those lives became a little too consuming. And that's an interesting thing to note. Yes, you should have different lives. You should have different interests. But what if those lives and interests start taking precedence over the relationship you have with your spouse and your kids? That's something I've had to work through in therapy. That new relationships are not going to be the same one that I had before. That just because I had my trust broken in one relationship doesn't mean it will happen again. Another thing that I noticed was that no matter how much work you put into your relationship, it doesn't make a lick of difference if you're the only one willing to put in that work. It takes two to tango. You can go to therapy. You can make goals together. You can make promises. But ultimately, if those promises aren't kept, if both people aren't willing to work, then there's nothing much you can do. I've talked about disruptive events before in technology or even thought that changed the world. A transcatheter heart valve that can be threaded through the groin into the heart is a disruptive technology. It's been instrumental in saving many lives. Uh, the personal computer, the smartphone. All of these are disruptive events, disruptive products. And divorce is a disruptive event in our lives. And like other disruptive events, we can either adapt and become better and more resilient, or we can falter. Redbox and Netflix were disruptive companies in the movie rental industry. I have fond memories of going to the video rental store with my parents, my brothers, and picking out a couple movies that we would watch nonstop for three days. Blockbuster had an opportunity to recognize how disruptive Redbox and Netflix were going to be, but it took them too long to adapt and change their business model. They tried at the end, but it wasn't enough. Netflix began by mailing DVDs, and then they adopted the streaming model and have become one of the biggest streaming companies in the world. They still mail DVDs, but, uh, but if they had stuck to just mailing DVDs, they would be nowhere near the powerhouse they are today. All this is just to say 
that when we are faced with divorce, we can adapt and overcome rather than falling behind. Another thing that I now have because of my divorce is a deeper relationship with my family, my brothers, my parents. I don't think this ever would have happened without my divorce. Don't get me wrong, I was very close to my parents and brothers, but we have always been a reticent group when it comes to talking about feelings and struggles and things like that. You come up with a fart joke, it'll blow them away, but talk about sadness and crying yourself to sleep at night. It just wasn't ever done. But because of my divorce, and especially because of therapy, I was able to open up about things that I never would have talked about before. It kind of followed a pattern. When I was trying to save my marriage, I was advised not to confide in family. So it isolated me from the people I usually confided in the most. I was shouldering what felt like a huge burden. And then when I knew that the marriage couldn't be saved, I finally was able to confide in my parents and a huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders. And then eventually I told my brothers and we shared that burden. It reminds me of a scripture Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then another, I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you were in bondage. Being able to confide in my family eased my burden and helped that relationship grow. And I know that my family worries about me. I know that they pray for me. I can feel their prayers and it strengthens me. It helps lift that burden I feel. I would not have as strong of a relationship without my divorce with my family members. And then finally, the last item, my marriage gave me my greatest gift, my two wonderful kids. Now, my ex and I struggled with infertility our entire marriage. We tried shots and medication, and we finally just gave up. And just when we gave up, we were able to have our son. He was a chunky monkey. I think he was like 10 pounds. My ex had diabetes, um, and so, you know, he was just massive. But he was also in the NICU for the first couple days after he was born. I remember walking into the NICU fully gowned and masked, walking past these tiny little preemie babies in incubators, and then getting to the incubator where my son was. And he filled the entire thing. They had these small cards where they would take footprints of the NICU babies and paste them outside the incubators. And my son's footprint looked like a giant's footprint. It took up the entire card. It was outside of the lines. They weren't used to that. But he was a blessing in my life through the midnight feedings, the crying, the potty training. I can look back at it now with fondness, but I do remember a time when I was up all night holding him as he cried, trying to give my ex some rest, and I wondered, how am I going to survive this? I was so exhausted. Well, after we had my son, we tried and tried again. We tried shots and medications. We had miscarriages, which were devastating. And then we finally tried something called ovarian drilling. And that gave me my daughter. She was beautiful. Both my children were C-section babies, so they had perfectly formed heads on their fat little bodies. As the nurse was cleaning off my daughter, I noticed something interesting on one of her hands. She had two thumbs that were webbed partway down. 
She has two thumbs, I said to the nurse. Yep, two thumbs, ten toes, a healthy baby girl, the nurse said. No, she has two thumbs on one hand. The nurse looked at the hand and she said, and he said, Huh, I've never seen that before. Then he disappeared and brought a doctor in. The doctor looked at my daughter's hand. Can't remember what she said, but she reassured me that everything looked fine. My daughter later had surgery when she was one years old to remove one of the extra thumbs and increase mobility in her hand. It was a bittersweet moment. I loved her little hand. I loved her extra thumb. It was so unique and beautiful. But I also worried about her being teased and the mobility issue. Now, through the years of her eating her own hair, me having to shave her head for the first few years of her life to try and stop it, through the tears and the laughter, I just enjoyed it all. <laughs> Especially in hindsight. Now, both my kids are the greatest thing that I have for my marriage. Because of them, I would never change anything that has happened to me. I get to see them almost every day. I get to be there for them when they have nightmares, when they are sad. I have a better relationship with them because of my divorce. It forced me to be present every day of their lives. When before I was present in the mornings and evenings before I left for work and when I got home. Now, it might take you a while to get to the same place. The place where you have accepted your divorce and embraced the new beginning that it has provided you. Let's go back to the letter in getting past your breakup. Quote, Before you get to integration and acceptance, you must first experience the whole gamut of letting go. And part of that experience is observing the empty place markers, understanding that something significant has come and gone, and feeling the feelings that go along with that. It's tempting to try to stop the recycling. You've already spent an enormous amount of energy on this person, this loss, this experience. You've been feeling better, and life is starting to feel like life again. You don't want to feel the anger, the sadness, and the loneliness. No one wants to go back there. But if you fight it, it only gets worse. So allow it to happen, and know that it doesn't last forever. After the first anniversary recycle, things get so much better. Just honor your process, allow the last remaining remnants of grief to flow out, and in no time you will be back to the life you've worked so hard for in the last year. A few weeks later, the person who wrote this letter above wrote to say she was feeling much better now that the anniversary had passed. Know that anniversary grief and recycling is a necessary but short-lived bump in the road, and you will come out on the other side stronger and happier. And while you're experiencing anniversary grief, remember to be good to yourself, today and always. End quote. So to summarize, your wasiversary can be a difficult time where feelings and emotions are dredged up out of the muck. But as time passes, you can view these days with indifference and even positivity. Remember that you can celebrate what you did get out of your marriage. For me, this included experiencing a good, positive marriage, experiencing a negative marriage the last three years, a better relationship with my parents and my brothers, and finally, my two wonderful kids. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about what to consider when you're putting together your divorce decree. This is something that many people worry about when they get to that point, and it should be something you think about. 
It's better to remember those things before the paperwork is signed than afterwards when you're kicking yourself for not adding certain clauses or requirements. So join me next time for that. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.